Literary Anything, our Marian Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. And if you'd like to support us, we do not have a Patreon account and we do not have merch to sell you. So you should just sit back and <laughs> do what you're doing. Just listen to us and relax because we're the library and that's kind of how we do. That's what we do. <laughs> we're here we for you stuff. for nothing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And now it's 2021. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I assume you had a massive rager for New Year's Eve. You know it. Everybody, right? Yeah. Everyone was just raging. Yeah. Except I was just at my parents' farm. <laughs> um, I did stay up till midnight, though, unlike Jane, who told me she was <laughs> in bed by then. I was, and I was so happy about it. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> This month we read Smart Ovens for Lonely People by Elizabeth Tan. That's right. Which is the coolest, quirkiest title going at the moment. Isn't it? Isn't it? And I realised I haven't read a lot of short story anthologies. Mm. And I think the only one I could think of was Runaway by Alice Munro. I don't know if she's kind of Canadian literary royalty she's won like a Nobel Prize in literature and she's won the man booker so the only other one I had to compare to was certain American states yes when was that 2019 I we read think that? so but I was not a fan nobody was and really. somebody uh, a staff member here said that she started this um, smart ovens for lonely people and she found it too weird and mm. so after that I was not full disclosure was not <laughs> looking forward to this I know we ummed and out about this one, didn't we? But mm. then we thought, let's give another short story one a go. Because sometimes it is a little hard to discuss as well because we're not going to go through every single story. That's right. Obviously, What we decided was we would talk about the stories that stood out to us. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be interesting to see if we chose similarly or not. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So this is Elizabeth Tan is an Australian writer. She lives in Perth. She is a sessional academic at Curtin University. She's had one other book of fiction called Rubik, which was published in 2017. She is the co-editor of the 2019 anthology In This Desert, There Were Seeds, a collection between Margaret River Press of Western Australia and Ethos Books of Singapore. And her connection to Singapore is because her parents are Singaporean Mm. and she and her, I think she's got a brother, her and her brother and family live in Perth still. Now, this is, this is published by Brio Books. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. They're a really small uh, independent boutique Australian trade publishing company. Based, they're based in Sydney. So their areas of specialty include literary, crime, speculative fiction, non-fiction with broad appeal such as true crime, mind, mm. body, spirit, popular science and things like that. So I thought that was interesting as well and nice that we've chosen something from a little publisher yes as well. I like that too and from yeah. WA which I guess other than Tim Winton we don't mm-hmm. always hear stories from there no but there's quite a few one of my other and I've bought one of his books another WA author that I love is Sean Tan oh, who of I bought with me because I've got a little parallel to discuss nice <laughs> we'll look forward to that maybe calling out parallels overstating it but anyway we'll get mm. to that in a minute mm. would you like to do the spiel of the book. I'll do the spiel. Conspiracies, celebrities and therapies underpin this beguiling short story collection from Elizabeth Tan. A cat-shaped oven tells a depressed woman she doesn't have to be sorry anymore. A Yortopia bespoke terraria employee becomes paranoid about the mounting coincidences in her life. 
four girls gather to celebrate their fabulous underwear. With her trademark wit and slicing social commentary, Elizabeth Tan's short stories are as funny as they are insightful. This collection cements her role as one of Australia's most inventive writers. First impressions. After the first few stories, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And like I say, I was kind of a bit, uh, a bit, <laughs> a bit meh yeah. about reading this. And then I read the titular Smart Oven story, and I feel like this is where this book really hits its stride. I love the slow reveal of many of the stories in this anthology where you start off feeling really disoriented, like you have no idea what's going on, and then slowly you come to understand what's happening. And I feel like this is where it really departs from certain American states. That's what I didn't like about certain American states. I didn't know what was going on, and I never knew what was going on. In the end, I was like, what did I just read? (laughs) (laughs) Whereas this is not like that at all. And Smart Ovens is an example of that. You start off not knowing what was not knowing what's happening and then you come to understand that this is a woman who is suffering from a depression and she's attempted suicide and she's been assigned this smart oven like a smartphone but in an oven <laughs> that helps her cope and it's called neko oven neko means cat in Japanese and it's shaped like a cat's head and there's a bit of a cat theme throughout this there book is isn't there there is and there's a cat on the cover and on the yes. inside cover and I noticed just now I realized I hadn't read the acknowledgments which I usually read the acknowledgments at the end but at the end she does call out her love of cats and says thank you to all the cats she's known oh <laughs> nice. so she's a real cat person it's nice <laughs> I felt exactly the same when I really? started it mm. I like a strange story, but to begin with, when I was reading Our Sleeping Lungs Opened to the Cold, the one about the mermaids, right? I was like, oh, I don't know about this. It was very, they're absurd in a way, a lot of these stories. They're, they're sometimes unsettling mm. and I didn't know if I wanted a whole book of that. I was like, oh, is this going to be like this mermaid story the whole way through? And I would say the turning point for me was uh, Pang and Co. Genuine Scribe Era Stationery. Right. The one with the pen and she gave it to the homeless man and then he jumped in front of the train. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that's that's sort of, that's when for me it hit its stride a little bit and I really loved all those middle sort of uh, short stories the yes. most. thought they were very strong. I, I think I find it, unsettling to read story and I always have and I feel the same about movies as well I find books written from the animal's perspective a little bit uneasy I don't know why it gives me the heebie-jeebies so you're talking about yes 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 you are yes you are which is a story about a neighborhood posse of cats coming together to a battle a creature in the pool is that the one you mean well there was that one and then what's the other one Oh, the karaoke rabbit, the one? 18 Bells Karaoke Castle. That's the one when it's the year of the rabbit and it's the strange story about how people born in the year of the rabbit, most of them have died and they're actual rabbits. Right. That one didn't stand out to me at all. (laughs) I didn't even remember it until you said that. But I I see what you mean. Yeah, Yeah, I feel funny about them and I've always been like that. I've always been like that about movies and books and anything told from the animal's perspective. (laughs) I just thought of the movie Cats. 
Exactly. Remember how I felt about that? That's exactly how you felt. You were so weirded out by that. I didn't like it. You were not alone. There were lots of people who were weirded out by that. But funnily enough, I didn't actually mind the story in here about the cats, the one when they fight the... I assume it's a creepy crawly. Well, this was my question to you. Oh, creepy crawly. I didn't even think of that. I had this, what is the creature they're battling? Is it a creepy crawly, do you think? I bet you're right. It didn't even occur to me. Oh my gosh, I love that story even more now. I actually liked that one. I liked that one. Because I think it's because they were acting like cats. Right. Whereas the rabbit one... She's mixing and acting like a human. I think that's the distinction. Yeah, and that was the problem you had with the movie cats as well, <laughs> is that they weren't, they were, I get it. Like, it's kind of like that uncanny valley thing. It's yes. like, if it's somewhere, yes. if it's humans, it's fine. If it's cats, it's, it's fine. fine. But if they're a blend of both, then it's gross. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I felt about some of them. Right. Um, I felt like there was a bit of a, I don't know if you've watched much Black Mirror. There's a yes. bit of a Black Mirror element to some of this as well. Yes. There's, some of these stories got a disturbing glimpse at a possible future for for society. Did you feel like that? Yeah. I, well, I don't know about in terms of it being a disturbing glimpse in the future, but certainly there was a Black Mirror element to the story, Would You Rather? Yes. Which was really short. So much so that I read it twice just because mm. I was really struck by it. So Would You Rather was about two little girls playing Would You Rather, which is something that all little, or, you yeah. know, many I, little I kids play. Played. I played I, it. <laughs> <laughs> but what the world is having to deal with is the dire consequences of their sort of arbitrary decisions yeah. about would you rather have skates or skis? That wasn't one of them. Yeah, but <laughs> that's right. But there were there was some quite clearly more impacting ones like would you rather mum or dad? And they said dad. And so they have no mum now. Well, or I all was, the mums have gone, Well, I, I was going to ask you because that isn't explicitly stated but they just mentioned that the mum is gone and I that was one of my questions I had for you what happened to her yeah and do we assume chose dad Mm. yeah yeah so are all the mums gone I I love the premise of that one I love the premise Mm. I had to read it twice I love the dichotomy of the seriousness that Mm. she dealt with the story juxtaposed with the whimsical nature of that game that everybody's played as a child yeah that's right. Yeah. I liked that too. The other one that felt a little Black Mirror-ish was oh, uh, the know. Meal Channel. Oh, that's not the one I was thinking. What's that the one? The Meal Channel's one when there's a a couple on a date, and again, this is what I this is one of the things I did like about all of these stories. Nothing is you have to piece together. There's little breadcrumbs scattered throughout the stories, and you have to piece together what's going on to get an understand of understanding of where they're where they're at. Absolutely. I completely agree that she makes you work for it a little bit. Yeah, and I liked that. Absolutely. So the meal channels where the the couple are on a date and they're in a restaurant and they're being filmed by the camera crew and then people are watching them eat from home and the people who are watching it are just on feeding tubes. That's right. And there's this ticker that keeps ticking upwards like a little screen you know and I think it's I'm just looking at it's like 15 million 319,000 and I'm assuming that they're meals that have been saved by them being on the feeding tubes oh I didn't see I didn't get and that then, then I assumed that the the meals are going to you know impoverished people or they're sharing the meals out around the world or something mm. I don't know and then that's why everyone's on a feeding tube right 
So then they talk about, you know, I'm a 66 percenter and I'm a 33 percenter. And then she was guessing that, oh, he must he must be on the feeding tube for lunch because then he can work through lunch and he'd eat his other meals. Right. Yeah, I know. So uh, lots of little. And like like we've said, like you you have extrapolated that from the information that she's given you, yeah. but that wasn't explicitly stated. No. So you could interpret it different ways, which is mm. really engaging to read. Yeah, so everybody would get something different potentially out mm. of this or make different meanings out of the, the little breadcrumbs she's scattered through the book. Yes, that one was definitely Black Mirror-ish. And I also, this one is maybe one of my favourites of the book, Excision in F-sharp minor. Yes. So this is about a woman who eventually realises, um, sorry, you eventually realise that she's experienced a loss and through some kind of neuroscientific process, she's excised her grief onto this CD. But then anytime anyone plays that CD and hears what's on it, they experience the profound grief that she's excised from yeah. her life. But the thing that I loved about it was that it's told backwards. So it's like, this happened. An hour before that, this happened. Two days before that, this happened. And so this is another one that I had to read twice. Yeah, and I read this one twice Did too. you? Yeah. And the second time I actually read it backwards. Yeah. And so it was like a combination of the italicized portion of I'm thinking of ending things. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Which I also read backwards after I was finished the book. And then it also had an element of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in there, I thought. So, so clever. I loved the idea of that. I, I thought it was such a great imaginative idea that this grief. And then so when she played it for other people... They were, you know, in tears, just sobbing uncontrollably and they were doing all this testing on to see who it worked on. But she wouldn't cry because it's been all taken away from her. It's gone. That's right. And then they allude to the fact that, you know, you potentially could be removing other elements of your feelings, I guess. Right. And putting them into innate objects. And talk about leaving breadcrumbs. This is such a great example of it because of the fact that it's told backwards mm. it all ties up at the end there's something that happens at the yeah. beginning that makes no sense yes <laughs> and Think then what yes Gross. and then when you get through it you're like ah yeah and it you really get this aha moment yeah i mean this is my kind of story yeah. i just it was a good yeah, it was I brilliant it's so well done yeah i also liked the cultural references that are scattered throughout the book kept the book really fresh and current and added some humor as well and a bit of because these stories are so out there having those little cultural references could could enable you to connect a little bit more with the story then as well without you feeling like you were just floating in the middle of this weirdness for sure I definitely agree with you like a little tether almost but it was definitely definitely Australian those things were Australian which I loved you know talking about Myers and Zupa Dupas yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) another of my favorites I think perhaps my favorite is disobeying yes I think we've picked the same oh have we we'll have to go through okay we will we'll have to this is a real writer's short story. It's about a writer who is at a book signing at a literary festival, and she has a man come up to her with a book that has her name on it, but that she didn't write. 
And he tells her how much this book with her name on it has meant to him and what a profound effect it's had on his life. And this is just, it's got a Twilight Zone quality to it. It's definitely her name and he definitely thinks she wrote it, but she has absolutely no recollection that she's done so. And it's just got really beautiful, aside from the fact that it's a clever story, it's just got really beautiful writing in it. So for example, she's at this literary festival and other writers have many more people lining up to see them than she does. And she says, if Harper wishes anything, it's that she had a publicist who could tell her that she doesn't have to sit at this signing table any longer. She'd signed two copies of a balanced ensemble, but five copies of the Ocean's Memoir. It's nice that this is still floating around, Harper said to the signees, not knowing what else to say. Floating around, like the Ocean's Memoir was persistent jetsam bobbing around the exquisite shipwreck of her life. I just, yeah, I mean, that's just one small example, but the, the writing is, is so eloquent. Yeah, I was, I've been so interested to see what you thought because I thought the writing was magnificent and I was really interested to see what you thought. You're my barometer for, <laughs> is this really good or not? Well, if you'll <laughs> indulge me, I just want to read perhaps my favourite bit of this with just brilliant writing and, oh, one thing... One other thing I want to say about it is I love how halfway through the book, it switches to future tense. So it's like oh. Harper will do this oh, and yes. her son will yeah. do this. And it gives it, it's, it hasn't happened yet, but this is what's going to happen. And it gives the latter half of the story this really distinct, distinctive, wistful quality to it that I thought was perfect for the story. The feel of it was just right. It's a little emotional, wasn't oh, it? That it's story? Bar- well, so this is the bit that I wanted to read to you. At the end, um, Harper, the, the writer, is talking about she's having this conversation with her son, and her son does this funny thing with his two fists in order to show her the direction to somewhere. And she says this And Harper will look at her son's extended fists and marvel at this little demonstration, these two precious fists. It's a mannerism that she knows he didn't get from her, nor from Patrick. It is something her son picked up himself and made his own, and despite the smallness of the gesture, the nothingness of it, Jude will appear to Harper as someone entirely his own person, over whom she has no claim. And a strange sort of love will unfurl itself, not a motherly love, but a writerly conviction that this particular moment cannot be faithfully replicated, that any description will fail, but an attempt must nonetheless be made oh god (laughs) that as a as a person who has a grown son and a person who has tried to write things down and capture a moment yeah said everything for me and uh, yeah it was that was right at the end of the story and it was just pitch perfect to me yeah I really liked that one as well oh yay um a few of the stories reminded me and I mentioned Sean Tan earlier a few of the stories reminded me of his style almost. If you don't know Sean Tan, he's an author, illustrator, and he writes just these wonderful stories of strange occurrences, predominantly in just ordinary suburban settings. And like the first story, The Night of the Fish, which is the mermaid one, which I found uncomfortable and a bit disturbing. Yes. I thought that, you know, his illustrations would be perfectly 
paired with a story like that. And he's he's an illustrator as well. Yes, yes. And does he always write children's? This they're generally housed in children's sections, but they they're kind. I would say they're older children, maybe teenage or adolescent to adult type stories. Yeah, they sometimes do have quite adult themes to yeah, them. Yeah, you could read some of them to your kids, but you'd also probably find a deeper meaning as an adult reading mm. it, if that makes sense. I so wonder if he is someone who's influenced her writing since they are both from WA. Yeah, maybe. Mm. I'm not sure. But mm. I, I just liked the the idea of the match of the two of them. That would be really cool to see. So should we – I've marked out four that were my standouts. Okay. I reckon we've got pretty much – the same. I'll tell you my four, shall okay. I? Okay, you do. I liked yeah. more than this, but these are the ones that stood out. Yeah. Would you rather? Yes, I had that. Excision in F sharp minor. Yes. <laughs> Disobey. Yes. And the mill channel. Oh, okay. I didn't have that oh, one. Oh, okay. Um, I had smart ovens. Yes. And I just want to say about smart ovens, I liked the font that they used for Neko Ovens voice. It was really. It's, it seems odd, an odd thing to say, but it really cemented the the sound of her voice in my head, kind of like a female data from Star Trek. This yeah. real sort of android, almost devoid of emotion, but not quite. Yes, the, I read it like that in my head yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's you know, obviously the writing, but also the font lends itself well to that. And so I enjoyed the message in a bottle analogy um, that the protagonist of the story talks about the same damn bottles going out and the same damn bottles coming back so she thought of herself like this desert island person sending messages out into the ocean and then having the same ones coming back to her as a way of expressing her loneliness and repetitive thinking that she would get stuck in but at the end Neko Oven says to her if we were to apply your metaphor about messages inside bottles, we could say that you discovered new bottles on the shore of your solitary island, a fresh reminder that you, that there are other islands and other people throwing bottles, that while you are alone on your island, you are not alone in the ocean. Yeah, that was nice. I, I liked that. But the other one I liked was This Is Not a Treehouse. Oh, yeah. Such an insular story about a couple who it seems is growing apart, one of them is building this structure that may or may not be a treehouse, while the other one is brooding over the past and present aspects of, the, our, of their relationship. And I think part of what I loved about it is it's written in the second person. So you did this and you did that. I've talked about this on the podcast mm. before. I love a short story written in the second person. When it's done well, It, I mean... When you're writing, that's what you want to do. You want to bring the reader into you. And writing in the second person, I feel like really, that really facilitates that feeling of being spoken to. Loved it. Loved that story too. So almost exactly the same. Yeah. Stories that I just thought this was so, this was so full of imagination and strangeness. And yeah, I was hoping it would be like this, but like you, I was start. I started, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know." I know, very pleasantly surprised. I loved the quirky titles and how they seemed nonsensical to start off with, and then when you read the story, you're like, "Yeah, no, nah, that makes they make perfect, perfect sense. sense." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and also I loved how varied the protagonists are in each story. You've got like a depressed Asian woman, a gay man, a cat, a young girl, mermaid. Mermaid, that's right. All the stories are really 
not only the characters, but the stories are really diverse. Like, you can't think, oh, yeah, here she goes again with this. Like, yeah. they're all extremely different. The way they're written are so um, diverse. And the writing is smart and literary, but not so literary that it's inaccessible. Yeah. It's very yeah. accessible, I would say. It's clever, but not for the sake of being clever. Yes. I love how Australian it is. Yeah. It's that's, definitely... That's what appealed to me to begin with, was how Aussie it sounded. Contemporary yeah. Australian short story fiction. Oh, what a way to start the year, huh? I know. Yay Great us. pick. Yay us. <laughs> we would love to hear what you think about it. What were your favourite short stories? We've got lots of copies in the collection. So get on and um, put it on hold and let us know what you think. Yes. What else did you read Oh well, holidays? I read one other thing, which was the new David Sedaris book. Oh, <laughs> that I told you that about. That you told me about, <laughs> called The Best of Me. Uh, as the title suggests, it's, it's a bit of a greatest hit kind of a book all his best writing in one place so it's perfect for you because you're such a fan I am such a fan I've read I'd read a number of the stories it's quite a big book it's not little uh, I'd read a number of the stories before but I'm very happy to read them again there was quite a few that I hadn't read yet and or slash had forgotten about still laughed out loud multiple times really enjoyed it if you've got a good memory and have read all of his work, you might find this a bit redundant. I was wondering, I mean, guess I guess that's the thing as a fan, when somebody puts out a greatest hits, you, yeah. that's what, you, what you're wondering is, is this just going to be a repeat of everything I already that's know? That's right. And that's, these sorts of authors can be a bit like that because you might have read, you know, a piece in a, a journal or an art article in a book, in a newspaper, and then it's just being, you know, shoved into a book. It's a little bit like that, but I still really enjoyed it and, yeah, whipped through it. It's good. And if you're someone like me who isn't as familiar, then it would be yeah, really good. Be I really imagine good. all his best work in one place. Yeah, yeah. The only ones I don't, I don't love his writing. He does write from animals' perspectives <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> And does a little, a few fiction pieces throughout as well. And they're really out there, mm. very out there. I don't love those bits. I like his his sort of non-fiction pieces more. Right. So, yeah, get on it if you like it. If you've got a great memory though, maybe have a look at what stories are in it before you read it. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I read was one I mentioned at the end of our last podcast, which is this, The Discomfort of Evening by Marika Lucas Reneveld. And this is a story of 10-year-old Jazz who lives on a dairy farm with her very religious parents and three siblings. And then there's this tragic accident right at the beginning that the whole family spends the rest of the novel trying to grapple with. It's set in the Netherlands, largely in winter. It's a brilliant book. And like I said, it won the 2020 International Booker Prize. But I can't say that I liked it, if that oh, makes okay. any sense. It's a massive accomplishment for this author. You can see she's extremely talented. But everything that they say about it, that it's intense, gritty, disturbing, claustrophobic, unflinching is a really good word to describe it because she definitely, or I've, just, I've since realized that the author goes by the pronoun they, so I should say they definitely don't 
shy away from difficult and disturbing topics, including self-harm, childhood sexuality, animal abuse. So, yeah, (laughs) not for you, Jane, not for you. It's also extremely dense because it's largely Jazz's thoughts and only interspersed with minimal and often very sparse dialogue. So you can't, like, you're not churning through it at all. And a lot of scenes are left unresolved or kind of hanging And it really gave me, certainly I felt, I don't know if everyone would feel this, but I felt kind of confused and anxious the whole way through, which I imagine is her intent, because this is a very uncomfortable read on purpose, I would say. It's very challenging. This is like a punch in the gut sort of a book, gut-wrenchingly sad especially when you realize that it's semi-autobiographical, I realized after the fact. So certainly not for everyone, but definitely a massive accomplishment for a debut novelist. What a lovely book to read over the Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <Holidays>. <laughs> so true. How relaxing that must have been. That's true. Every so often I'd bring the book out and I'd be like saying to Brett, oh my God, this book, this book. He's like, why are you reading it? Beach reads for Paula (laughs) over summer. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you like the sound of that, (laughs) we obviously have that in the collection. So put that on hold. (laughs) And now to lighten the mood a little bit, (laughs) we have our new segment which is listener feedback. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we should have a little sound effect I was just or something. Say, we need some like little, intro music for it. Chimes or something. <laughs> mail, mailbag, mailbag. Yes, like a little <laughs> ringy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll get to work on that. <laughs> One of those buttons over there probably. Yeah, does it. that's right. <laughs> First, we have a couple of questions from Andrea. Hi, Andrea. Yay. Thanks for writing in. Andrea asks, has working on the podcast changed the way you read? Do you want to go for that first? Sure, sure. It certainly has made me a reader of a wider or a broader reader, I would say, because we are not purely picking things that we want to read personally. So we're reading things that have broad appeal or are trending or are getting a lot of interest or might be something that Paula's dead set on or I'm dead set <laughs> on or whatever so we're, we're often reading things that we wouldn't necessarily choose ourselves so I would say that I'm a more thoughtful reader as well I'm trying because I know that I need to talk about these books so I try to not just read it and just I need to absorb it a little bit more than I normally would I guess yeah I would, I would say the same and it has brought reading back to me in a way I had kind of gotten away from reading a bit. I mean, certainly reading has lots of competition these days. Mm. And I had really gotten into this podcast groove where I was just listening to podcasts as my sort of escape or whatever. So it's brought me back to reading, I would say. And yes, I read, I will sometimes make notes while I'm reading now, which I would normally never do, but just just so we can chat about it on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I I often say to people that reading is a bit like a muscle that you need to exercise it and strengthen it. And the more you do it, the better you are at reading definitely Uh, and I definitely think that I'm a better reader because we've been reading so much and we also need to talk about other stuff that we've read so we're really getting through 
quite a few books a year now. Yeah. Which is, you know, great. I like a list of accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> Things for you to tick off. Andrea also asks, were you both big readers as children or are books something you came to later in life? And I feel like I know what the answer I is. Think I'm I sure. know the answer for both of us. <laughs> I'm sure everyone uh, will not be surprised. Yeah, always, always, always have been a reader. Always been my chosen pastime as a kid. I can't ever, other than after just having my babies, that's the only time in my life that I've really not been reading. I would say. I'm sure you're Since not I alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. What about your? Sister, is she also a big reader? Uh, not as much as I am, but yes, as a kid, we were both, yeah. We were very fortunate in that reading was encouraged. We had a lot of books in the house. We were given lots of books. I mean, this is a, you know, family of teachers, so mm. it's just a part of the fabric of our family, really. Right. I feel like in my family, it was sort of half and half. Like my mum and my sister weren't much mm. for reading, but my dad and I were but yeah I was always I used to steal my sister's scholastic books because oh, I yeah. would read mine and then I would be God, I loved a scholastic <laughs> book <laughs> wasn't you? it so fun yeah picking out what you wanted yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, we get those still now those scholastic book clubs come home with my kids at school they're not completely online yet and I, even I'm excited they come home like quick kids circle the ones that you want <laughs> What should we get? <laughs> so nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your questions, Andrea. Yes, thanks for that, Andrea. Next, we have an audio question. Ready? Oh. Hi, Paula and Jane. It's Jennifer from Canada. Love your podcast. Um, I was just wondering how you guys choose the books that you review each week, and do you take suggestions? Thanks for everything. Yay, thanks for that question, Jennifer. How exciting. Right? All the way from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked a little bit about this just before, didn't we, how we choose our books. We, I think we started off choosing them differently and then we've started. Yes. Yeah. We did it a whole year at a time when we first at began. At the beginning, yeah. Which in theory sounds like a great idea, but was a bit restrictive, wasn't it? It was. We realised that we wanted to keep ourselves open for those books that – are the latest and greatest and things the one that everyone's talking about that's created some kind of literary buzz or if there's some controversy over it that you couldn't predict yeah that's right or you know there might be some sort of paired movie or netflix series or whatever coming out and we're kind of yeah trying to keep our finger on it a little bit about what the general interest might be like in a particular book. That's right. So we keep our eyes open. We have lots of alerts set for, you know, what's going on in the industry so that we can really be aware of what is the latest and greatest yeah. and the one that everybody will want to talk about. Yeah. So, And another thing we have committed to doing is trying to make sure that we're reading diversely as well. So we're reading from different types of characters, different types of authors from different countries, different backgrounds, and of course including Aboriginal authors in our yearly lists as well. That's right. Yeah, so Thank some great that. questions there. And if you have a question for us, please send those to libraryevents at marion.sa.gov.au or you can message us on Facebook or you can do what Jennifer did and use the voice memo app on your phone to record a question and then email it to us at that email address. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Fabulous. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, so now we've come to other news. Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
Like many people, millions of people in fact across the world, I watched the Bridgerton series over Christmas and I've been telling everybody about it (laughs) because everybody should watch it. (laughs) So this is based on the first book of the Bridgerton series by Julia Quinn, The Duke and I, that's the first book. So there's, there's eight books in the series followed up by a couple of sort of epilogue novellas in the series. Hugely popular, hugely, hugely popular historical romance series with a huge, enormous fan base that you know, have online discussion groups and think Fifty Shades, think Twilight, that sort of level of fan base or fandom, I guess. She writes her heroines with a strong feminist streak, which is clearly not accurate for the time. All of her, all of these novels are set in the Regency era, era, high society London, so in the early 1800s. So obviously feminism wasn't really something that you either admitted to or was even or in even the even consciousness. That's no. right. It's funny because when Jane said that she was watching this, I watched the first, like, I don't know, 15 or 20 mm. minutes, and the toxic masculinity yeah. and the, you know, women as chattel kind of yeah. vibe of it just initially put me off. And so I... Of course. I, yeah, but it's interesting because yeah. Jane's watched the whole thing, <laughs> so she's got a better perspective on it. <laughs> so this is this series of produced by Shonda Rhimes and it was released on Christmas Day. So this has been really hyped up. So it might just be my algorithms on my (laughs) social media, but there's memes, there's people talking about it, there's people impersonating it, there's all this hilarious stuff online now since it's been released. The cast is diverse. The costumes are glorious. Mm. The film locations are beautiful. They've been able to give it a really modern feel while maintaining the... I'm putting historical elements. I don't know. I'm not an expert in the Mm. Regency era Mm. of England, but you know, it seems historically vaguely accurate. I'm sure they would have had streaks, (laughs) right? Yeah, I'm sure they would have had people on staff to check that kind of thing because people get really upset. Presumably, yeah. And it's one of those things with a huge fan base that I haven't seen. You know how sometimes they put out an adaptation of a book series or book or a series, and these these fans just pile on if they're not happy about it. Oh, yes. I haven't seen any huge disgruntled pylons from mm. the book fans of this. It's just so much fun. It's Downton Abbey crossed with Gossip Girl but uh. with more bodice ripping and sauciness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely revisiting it's it. It's really fun. Don't take it too seriously. Mm. It's just pretty and fun. It looked very pretty. Yeah. What a colour palette. Yeah, it was yeah. gorgeous. Mm. So anyway, that's my big news <laughs> <laughs> well i also watched a not a series but a movie based on a book which was the dry which has just come out which is of course jane harper's second novel was it her second or her, her first? first that was, was her, her first, first novel yeah. star starring not starring but her main character's aaron folk played by eric banna in the movie version, a fantastic adaptation to screen, amazing cinematography that simultaneously depicts the vastness of the land and evokes this feeling of humility for what such an intense drought, because Mm. of course that's, you know, the dry, it's this intense drought that must cost the people who make a living off the land what that must cost them, while also inspiring a sense of pride for the beauty of the Australian landscape. It's 
I mean, we, we live in an amazing country, and for all of the hardship that it can bring, likely as a result of humanity and what we've inflicted on it, it's just beautiful. This movie was just beautiful to watch. And it looked how it did in my head when I was reading it, mm. which is always satisfying. Superb casting and acting, and... How exciting for Jane Harper. I feel kind of like, almost like Jane Harper's a bit of a friend of our library because yeah. she's often uh, come to speak to us when she's got a new book out. And as much as I love Leanne Moriarty's mm. stories and the success that she's had overseas and the HBO adaptations of her book, I love that this is so Australian. It's an Australian story written by an Australian writer, and they kept the location, which of course they had to, because the location is such an yeah. intrinsic part I of the story. I was going to say they couldn't. They couldn't do what they did with Big Little Lies and set it in the states because it just wouldn't work. It couldn't be anywhere else. Filmed in Australia with brilliant Australian actors, so authentically Australian, gripping. Yeah. I loved this book, and I, I generally don't like seeing movies of books that I've loved so mm. much, like Time Traveler's Wife. I've never seen that, and I oh. never will. But That's also Eric Banner. I know, it is. <laughs> You're right. Um, but I like the sound of this. I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't hype it up too Well, it's too much. late. It's tough, done it. it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not the only one, though. There's a few t people have seen it, and they've loved it as well. Mm. The other movie that's coming out shortly and may even be out by the time you're listening to this that's from a book is Penguin Bloom. Do you know that? Know. No, I don't know Penguin oh, you Bloom. you know Penguin Bloom. You've, you've seen it in the library. It's that beautiful book that it's nonfiction. It's biographical about the woman, Sam Bloom. Her husband, Cameron Bloom, wrote the story about her. She had that accident in Thailand and she almost died, but in the end, she no longer has the use of her legs. And then the family adopts this magpie that they call oh. Penguin. And the book has photographs of the oh, magpie. Oh, yeah, I know the one now. Yeah, yeah. I knew you'd know it. Yeah, you'd I do. It. Yeah. So they've made a movie of that with Naomi Watts. Oh, wow. And there was a trailer for it when, when I went to see The Dry. And it also looks spectacular, done by the same production company as The Dry, which is made-up stories. Mm. So, yeah, another great Australian movie that's come from a great Australian book. Fabulous. Well done, Aussies. <laughs> I had a couple that I just thought I'd, being the new year and all, a couple of these, you know, suit the refreshing start to a new year. The first one is Beginners by Tom Vanderbilt, The Curious Power of Lifelong Learning. So this book is about embracing new skills, even if we think we might initially be hopeless at them. Tom sets out to find the answer, tasking himself with acquiring several new skills under the tutelage of professionals, including drawing, juggling, surfing, and more. It's witty, often surprisingly profound. Beginners is an uplifting exploration of the science of brain plasticity and how we can learn how to learn anew. Oh, that whole that nice. subject of neuroplasticity is really fascinating. Yeah, I think that sounded quite nice. So that's out 5th of January. Another one that is probably still appropriate for lots of people is Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind by Rebecca Seal. So this is a little book about, it looks so cute. I'll show you the cover. <laughs> this is why I picked it, because the cover's so cute. Oh, 
Oh, it is Isn't cute. That it's like a little cartoon desk with lots of little books and lamps and yeah, it's, it's very cute. Scandinavianish, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. It's got that sort of palette. Yeah, more people are working solo than ever before. But while there's an abundance of advice on success, happiness, business, and productivity, no one addresses the crucial topic: how to cope with working alone. So again, drawing on ideas from in psychology, economics, business and social sciences. Solo covers topics from how to best shape your surroundings and build a network to how to deal with feeling stuck and whether solitude might actually help you to thrive. Solo teaches you how to work alone and like it. Ah, interesting. I could do with some more solo time at home. But <laughs> lots of <laughs> lots of mums probably would... <laughs> It's not an issue for me. If (laughs) only. And this one sounded so fun. It's called Gender Swapped Fairy Tales by Carrie Franzman and Jonathan Plackett. Imagine a world where kings prick their fingers as they sew and princesses race to rescue sleeping princes. People have been telling fairy tales to their children for hundreds of years. These are not retellings of the classics, but the classics with one vital change. All the genders have been switched. It might not sound like that much of a change, but you'll be dazzled by the world this swap creates and amazed by the new heroes you're about to discover. Oh, I love that. How cute does that is, sound? Is that a children's book or is it Well, adult? it's in the adult section of right. this email, but I would imagine that you would, I presume it's the story tale, the fairy tales and you read them to your kids, but they're swapped around. Oh, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I might put that, well, we'll get that on the list to, for the library so people oh, can have a look. Definitely. Yeah. So there's some interesting books coming out this month. That's great. Oh, and I'll put them in the show notes if you missed any of those. So now there's just to introduce our book for February. So our book for next month is The Push by Ashley Audrain. So I've got a little blurb here. Blythe Connor is determined that she will be the warm, comforting mother to her new baby, Violet, that she never herself had. But in the thick of motherhood's exhausting early days, Blythe becomes convinced that something is wrong with her daughter. She doesn't behave like most children do. Or is it all in Blythe's head? Her husband, Fox, says she's imagining things. The more Fox dismisses her fears, the more Blythe begins to question her own sanity, and the more we begin to question what Blythe is telling us about her life as well. Then their son Sam is born, and with him, Blythe has the blissful connection she'd always imagined with her child. Even Violet seems to love her little brother. But when life as they know it is changed in an instant, the devastating fallout forces Blythe to face the truth. The Push is a tour de force you will read in a sitting, an utterly immersive novel that will challenge everything you think you know about motherhood, about what we owe our children, and what it feels like when women are not believed. Mm. Now, if you, I if know. I were to tell you, I know. if I were to read you <laughs> that blurb, and then I said, this author <laughs> is from Toronto, she's Canadian, mm-hmm. who do you think picked this book? <laughs> <laughs> it is not me. I know. Even now I'm nervous because <laughs> we picked it just before Christmas, didn't we? And and even then you said, are you sure <laughs> you want to read this? This sounds like something I would pick. <laughs> and I said, yes, because there's a bit of buzz about it. There's a little bit of anticipation for this book to be released. And so here we are. And now I'm 
slightly afraid because mm. that sounds like I'm probably going to cry a lot. It sounds like it has a lot of similarities with We Need to Talk About Kevin, which yes. we always talk about on the podcast as one, one of, of our, our favorites. Yes. It also sounds a bit like Baby Teeth, which oh, yeah. I mentioned I did not like at all. <laughs> so it'll be Who interesting. Knows? Can mm. we both like the book two months in a row? Who knows? Yes, because we did <laughs> both love uh, yes. this, this book this I month. I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so the push not to be confused with push by yes. sapphire Ooh. yes yeah wow that's yeah. a hot that's a full-on book yes i Which mean great it, but yeah. it was the basis for the movie precious yes if that means anything to you so yes definitely a, a, a very different book from this so look for the push by ashley audrain and i'll put that in the notes for you Wonderful. Happy reading, everybody. Yes, read along with us. Subscribe to the podcast. Join our Literary Anything Facebook group. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you know? No. Oh, they have a podcast called oh, 9021. They? Oh my God. No, <laughs> 9021 OMG, I should say. Oh. And it's all, they're like watching back the episodes. Oh. And then they talk about them and they talk about what was going on behind the scenes. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I loved 90210. I know, me too. I was only barely allowed to watch it. But like Tori Spelling and Jenny Garth are best friends in real life now be- from being on that show. Oh, I love that. I That's know. That's nice. I know. Um, did you like Dylan or Brandon? Brandon. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> We're not the bag boy types. No. We're the hanging out in the library, <laughs> reading books. The nice boys. The nice <laughs> blue-eyed boys. I had his poster <laughs> on my wall. <laughs> I didn't. I had Michael J. Fox's poster on my oh, wall. Oh, okay, right. Mm, mm. That eighties gal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast, where we're talking. <sighs> it's okay. It's fine. <sighs> First one of the year. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs>